0: Appreciate that good start tonight in song, and we are back into the uh, uh, account of David in 1 Samuel, and so you could turn there as we head back, and really the height of the drama here of this story, the, the climax, the peak of the book, and we're right in the thick of it. Turn to 1 Samuel 28. It's backtracking a little bit, but if you'll remember the sequencing of the author here um, in a very dramatic way, taking us back and forth between the stories of the present king of Israel, King Saul, and the future king of Israel, King David. And um, we have The author subtly has been asking us to contrast the two for a while now, but now it's even more apparent what he's trying to do here. As if you'll remember recently, uh, David seemingly has joined the side of the enemy and has teamed up, supposedly, at least as far as Achish, one of the lords of the Philistines, the king of Gath, as far as he's concerned, that's what David has done. And David has certainly made it appear without actually saying it. But um, he's been giving updates to Akish about what he's doing, but he hasn't been telling him the whole story. So Akish thinks that David is his ally. In actuality, David is living in a town of Ziklag that they asked from um, Akish, the king of Gath. And Achish gladly gave to them. And they've been living in this town and uh, still taking on, carrying out God's um, protocol, his expectation um, against the enemies of the Israelites, but without Achish knowing about it. So David's being very cunning here and being obedient to God, taking taking out Israel's enemies and still making Achish think that he's with him. And that was working out well. Um, David and his men and their families had a secure place to live. The Bible says that Saul finally did stay from chasing after David at that point. And then David's also so David's able to carry out his two most important responsibilities to his people and to his God in that way. But then you get to chapter 28, and we have an uh uh-oh moment. Verse 1, in those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you Uh, Still like the King James says, keeper of my head. Um, He was, again, I made this this, uh, parallel before, but Achish was very bold or naive to make the one who had um, basically was the one that made Goliath lose his head to expect that he was going to help him keep his own head. But basically what that means is He was asking David to be his bodyguard for life. So obviously, Achish really trusted him. But the point is, David's in a conundrum here. Uh, Now he's got to fight because he's been appearing at least to be on the side of the Philistines. And again, my take on this is that this was God's uh, plan for David to live there in Ziklag, and to carry out... um, these raids against Israel's enemies. But I think that, that God at this point and why he allows us to take place, David's very cunning. And I think God doesn't want David to continue to rely on his, uh, and think that it was his own cunning or his own deception. David, obviously if he wants to, is very good at deceiving as well. Um, And God doesn't want David relying on that or being tempted to think that everything's under control, that this is the best scenario. So God puts David in the situation to remind him that he needs to be dependent on him. So David doesn't say what he's actually going to do for Achish. He keeps it very neutral. And so we're ready, uh oh, we're ready to find out what is David going to do? And then remember, it switches over to Saul, and we see Saul seeking counsel, fearful of the Philistine armies that are obviously coming his way. And he, because he has cut off all access to counsel from God, he does the absolute worst thing he could do, and he seeks the help of a medium. One of those uh, people who uh, claimed at least to talk to the dead of Spiritus, whose power obviously doesn't come from God, comes from, uh, is satanic in or- origin. Um, Samuel had encouraged Saul to get rid of all of these mediums and wizards out of the land, and Saul had done a good job of that, but there were still a few that were left. And Saul seeks one out. He finds one. He seeks then to to talk to Samuel, of all people. And God, in his grace, God takes over. Takes the whole, basically takes the stage from this medium and says, I'm here now. I'm taking over. And so you just get out of the way and let me work. And um, allows Samuel to address Saul one more time and Samuel chides Saul for calling him up in this way that's clearly forbidden by scripture by the Torah and then reminds him uh, just like they picked up their conversation from before Samuel died reminds him that Saul has chosen this because he has not been faithful to God he does things his own way and he did not seek after god and so then gives him the awful um the the awful news or the awful awful verdict that because Saul has acted in the way that he has that the next day as he is fighting the philistines that he will lose his life not only that but his sons also and the nation will pay the ultimate price a chilling finale that shakes Saul to his core. So much so that he has to rely again on this medium, uh, one of satanic power, to be able to help him to prepare a meal for him and his men because they're so famished. And Saul, maybe he's still been carrying out this oath that he tends to do where he doesn't eat until the enemy's defeated. He finally eats and leaves, us. so now we're wondering, okay, what's going to happen to Saul? What's going to happen next? And now we go back to David. The author takes us back to David, and so we're in chapter 29, so we're going to have to wait to hear about Saul. But we are now going to fight. Now what happens, David has been called by Achish to fight for the Philistines. Well, this is certainly going to be an interesting situation. And we're going to see. Um, although Saul has relied on sources that were clearly forbidden by God, we're going to again compare what does this future king, David, who does he rely on in distressing situations? 29 verse 1, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. And as the lords of the Philistine were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. Um, I don't know if they were the last ones to meet for the battle, but it's kind of climactic. All of the lords show up and they're saying, well, where's Achish? Well, he's coming. And I imagine they're watching as Akish uh, appears on the horizon, and they see all of a sudden someone else that they know notoriously. And they realize, Achish has David with him of all people, and all of these men, um, hundreds of men, with him. And of course, they're curious, right? Verse three: the commanders of the Philistines said, "What are these Hebrews doing here? You know, uh, I, uh, one of these things are not like the other. This is not a match." And the word Hebrew. It was kind of a derogatory way to refer to God's people by their enemies. Um, it referred to their, their racial origin in the essence. And so they're looking at this and thinking, are you crazy, Akish? And Akish, of course, has this response. And Akish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. Um, the other commanders obviously are not excited about having David with them. Not as excited as King Achish is. He refers to this. He he addresses this and says, yeah, guys, he's been with me for a, for a long time now. And maybe he says something like, I've told you about this. I've... It's been, um, he's been a real help to me and he deserted to me and I haven't had any issues with him at all. Akish is excited about the opportunity to have David with him. The other guy's not so much. And they quickly show obviously dismay over Akish's choice of David. But Akish reminds them, hey, this guy's a renegade. He's proven his loyalty to me. And this is David. This is the guy um, <clears throat> that was is, um, was Saul's best commander. Now, why wouldn't we want him with us? This is our our um, super secret weapon, in a sense. And he's trying to persuade them. But verse four, the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. They're not convinced. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, "Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go to ba- us. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. How could this fellow reconcile himself to this to his lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Uh, they're making some good arguments here. Um, practically speaking." It's very understandable why they're nervous about him. They demand, no, send him back. Send him back to Ziklag. We have no desire. The consensus of the others is no way that David's fighting with them. And what are their reasons? Obviously, he might decide to turn against them in the heat of battle, even if he does, even if he is committed to Achish. He could get in the heat of the battle and realize all of a sudden that he's fighting against his own people and turn on them. And certainly, that was a real possibility. Number two, he might reconcile with the king, with King Saul in the heat of the battle. Very good possibility as well. And number three, his reconciling with Saul, with them, what would that mean? The loss of their own heads. And he's already had a track record again of doing so. He helped Goliath lose his own head. And so these men are saying, if he reconciles, we're going to end up just like Goliath. Because verse 5, is not this David of whom they sing to one another and dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. We've heard this most popular song in the Israelite culture right now. Everybody knows that song. David is their secret or super secret weapon. And basically, I think they're saying, pay attention to their favorite folk song, Akish. We are not going to allow him to fight with us. No way. All of this is understandable. And it's God acting as well to protect David. So verse six Then Akish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out in, out and in with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So Achish really has no choice here, but he has to return to David with the, quote, bad news. But isn't it interesting here? An enemy king now provides a character sketch of david albeit slightly naive and maybe flawed in one regard but he begins he begins this character sketch by making an oath by israel's god here is a philistine king making an oath by the name of the lord and he says and it is to uh, reiterate and confirm David's effective service and honesty. He says, I will swear by your God, David, that you have been honest. And everything that you have done for me has been effective. Your service has been fully effective. David's character had made it clear to Achish. In other words, that he was fully trustworthy and capable of fighting alongside the pagan king against Israel. David had not made one error in his entire time with Achish. Um, he says that at the be, at the end of verse 6, For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Now, isn't this interesting that um, Achish is making this comparison? Uh, David has been truthful or may have been truthful in what he told the king, but he's never provided him the full truth. And I don't think he had to be. I don't think we, we don't always have to tell everybody every little detail of our lives in order to be truthful. Um, but it's when we misrepresent what we've done or, or who we are that gets us into trouble. But David's kind of, you know, he's skirted the line here. And yet he has convinced the king. And I think God has kind of clouded the eyes of Achish as well. God's protection here. And he has no idea. He does seem pretty dull in his senses about what David's really up to. And yet he says, David, uh, everything that I've seen says that you need to go to battle with us and help me. But you can't. The other guys, they do not approve of you. They're not convinced. And so it's not going to work out, David. I'm very sorry. You can kind of see almost that look in his face. Now, if we were David at this point, um, obviously God is using all this to protect David and his men, to give them an out from having to battle against their own people, to even have to put them in the situation where they've got to somehow turn around and fight with the Philistines in the midst of the Philistines. I mean, it's very, very dangerous situation. Um, and God just gave David a way out. Now, if we were David, wouldn't we immediately try to? Maybe we would make it try to sound kind of um, or or sincere by something like, "Oh, well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, King Achish," uh, but. Well, okay, we, we understand, and we'll go, and they, they, we would go quickly to get as far away from that situation as we could, and that's what we would kind of expect David to say. Well, that's not what David does at all. Look at verse 8, and David said to Achish, but what have I done, and what have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now? that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. David seems disappointed. In fact, he's arguing seemingly with King Achish to let him stay with him. So here's the question. Is he acting or is he really genuine here? Now, if I was there um, in the building with you all, I would kind of give an opportunity here for you to give your opinions, and kind of think this through together, but I, I'm not going to be able to really hear your responses, which I'm disappointed by, because I don't know if everybody has really taken time to to think this through. It is strange what's going on with David here, but I'll just go uh, to what I think is the best answer. We, we're not told for sure. This is one of those where I'd really just like to know more, be told what David's thinking, but we're just not told that. So is he acting? Well, I mean, is this basically him putting on a really good show to make it look to Akish as if they're still loyal to them? And oh that that's a shame, King Akish, because I was we were really ready. We were ready to serve and, and to fight with you, but you know, it, that that's just we're really disappointed. Is he is it a total ruse here? Um is he acting out the whole response? Or the other extreme side of it, is he fully sincere here? Is it possible that he's so angry with King Saul? And maybe he's angry with the people. Remember, you had a lot of people that betrayed David to back to King Saul. And is it possible he's just fed up with... Um, with the whole nation, and he is ready to do battle alongside his new ally, and he is really disappointed that he's not going to get the opportunity to do that. Well, I think the first option may be more of a better, uh, maybe a better possibility. I'm not as convinced about that second one. It just doesn't seem to really fall in line with everything that David um, has done so far. And so I don't think he really wants to fight against Israel, even though he puts on a convincing act. Let's admit that. But I think there's a third option here. And this is what I'm convinced that if I, and again, this is opinion, because we just don't know. But I think what's going on here is more along the lines of this, that David has had a plan of following after the Philistines and making it look like that he is going to fight with Achish. Remember that kind of general response earlier on when Achish told David, you're going to come fight with me. And he said, you'll see what your servant can do. But he didn't actually say that he was going to fight for the Philistines. I think David's plan is that he's going to get out into battle and that he is going to turn around and fight for Israel and help defeat the Philistines. Exactly what the other Philistine lords were afraid that David would do. And I think they kind of set us up to help us understand they were wise in their assessment because that's most likely what David was going to do. Turn on them and get victory over them for Israel and so david and his response here i think is his way of um of planning to turn in the battle and fight against the philistines with israel and he's hoping to win back the opportunity to do that he's convinced that's best he wants to bring uh defeat to israel's enemies and so he's he's still trying to convince achish to let them go along so they can do that and then so with that, with David trying to convince Akish, then we have this response, which is really still very interesting. Verse 9, and Akish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. You know, Akish is so naive here that it almost is rather humorous. It's almost like he's responding back something like, David, I know. I know you really want to fight for us. It's not your fault. I mean, you did everything right. You did everything you could. But these um, companions of mine, these other leaders, they just don't get it. And so since they don't get it, I can't let you do it. But notice as well, he refers to David as an angel of God. That's fascinating to me. First, he makes an oath to Israel's God, and now he looks at David as an angel or a messenger, David, or Akish ironically, seems to consider David a messenger of Israel's God to him, a pagan king. And in actuality, David is probably an avenger of his people sent from God against Akish, and he doesn't even realize this. But here's another thing, too, that's ironic. and don't miss this how much better this pagan king this achish treats or speaks of god excuse me and treats god's servant than israel's current king the king one of the kings of the philistines is more respectful to god and god's servant than king saul is it's remarkable but with all this going on achish still it still remains where he says, David, you can't come. I can't allow it. So you got to go back. And so he says, verse 10. Okay, I'm sorry, the, the middle of verse 9. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines, these guys just don't get it, David. They've said he shall not go with us to battle. So now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, with your men and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. And so David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now, David obviously has no other option. They need to leave early in the morning at early dawn, first sign of light, and they need to go back home, turn back. That's what they do. So now, with all this set up, We're ready for the battle between Philistines and King Saul and Israel, and yet we're not going to get that yet, because there's another surprise, dramatic surprise, in this story as we go into chapter 30. David and his his men are returning now to Ziklag, to their hometown, and I think there certainly has to be some relief. At the near avoidance of a very difficult and awkward situation, with almost having to fight with the Philistines, and I'm sure on their way home they're talking about, "Well, thank you, Lord, thank you for being delivering us and continuing to be uh, protecting us and uh, being faithful to us." And yet they don't realize that these men, with their leader David, they are about to face one of their greatest losses and one of their greatest challenges yet. But even more than that, as we finish up 1 Samuel, we're going to see both David and Saul will face one of the most trying moments of their lives. Saul, certainly the most critical moment in his life. Um, But David will struggle as well. And we already know. Because the authors already told us what Saul chose to do. He wanted to find counsel and direction, and he chose a way expressly forbidden by God. And now we're going to contrast what David does in his very critical trying moment here. And that's going to take place here next, verse, chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, what they didn't know is that someone else had already been there. The Amalekites had taken advantage of their absence and extracted their own revenge for David's recent attacks. Remember those attacks that David's been doing on his enemies, including the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites aren't wiped out yet. Somehow they figure out that David is gone from Ziklag, and they realize their opportunity, and they wreak havoc. Verse 1, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag, and they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. And taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, they killed no one but carried them off and went their way. So they've taken captive all the people plundered all the goods and literally just burnt the town to the ground, just totally destroyed it, wiped it out. And when David and his men came to the city, you can almost imagine David and his men, maybe they're laughing and they're praising the Lord about their near miss, um, their God's protection. And they're talking about men want it be great to be home and be back with with our wives and our children and get a good meal and, and whatever. And as they get close, maybe they see the smoke of the town and they realize in the horizon that something very devastating and very uh, horrendous has happened. And so all of a sudden, maybe uh, as they're, Now, they didn't have horses, so they're walking, so I'm sure they quickened their pace. They ran, and it says, verse 3, when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, totally destroyed, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And now remember, uh, the, the, the Amalekites didn't leave a note. So whether they knew at this point that they still had wives and sons and daughters is... We're not sure, but they know that everything is gone. And this was obviously the last thing that they expected. And uh, just the total um, loss here and uh, the effect that it must have had on them, it just totally devastates them. Verse 4, then David and the people who were with him raised their voices. Remember, David, a mighty warrior. His men are big, strong men. I was reading through in Chronicles. We'll we'll look at this at some point. It describes these men that are fighting with David and his forces. These are big guys. These are strong guys. These are manly men. And here they find a situation so devastating that they're weeping like children. They raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. This totally takes it out of them. And um, affects them to the very core of their being. And as they continue to assess, they realize everything is gone. And that also means, verse 5, David's two wives also have been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And then maybe a classic understatement here, but David was greatly distressed. Now, Just the fact of coming back and seeing your home burnt to the ground, and your family's gone, and everything you own taken, that would be hard enough. That really, this is a Job-like situation for David and for his 600 men, right? That would be bad enough. But his his loyal men, these men that have fought by him, have been, been strong and true toward David. They're so emotionally affected by this as well, that they've turned against him too. And David is distressed But in on all sides. For it says there, the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. And we understand, folks, I don't care... Um, What person you admire or respect um, and who you have great respect and um, maybe even devotion towards, if that person allows your family to be hurt in any way, it's very difficult to have um, good feelings toward anybody that allows that to happen or that you see that anybody that might um, be responsible for that happening. And we understand that. Don't mess with my family. And here all these men are looking, and their families are gone. And even their leader that they've trusted and that they've supported all these years, they're ready to stone them. They're ready to get rid of him. Now, this is Job, in many essence. His, His goods are gone. His family's gone. His closest friends are against him. At that point, what do you do? When you are at one of life's rock bottom moments, this may have been David's, uh, one of his most um, grievous distressing moments, certainly in his life. What do you do? Well, honestly, if we were David, we'd probably be tempted to quickly run the other way and then maybe stop after a while and realize, no, I, I can't do that. I've, I've got to go back. But we'd be very discouraged and depressed. And maybe, uh, you know, thinking of how can I get myself out of this? But folks, look what David does. It is the reminder to us what we need to do in every difficulty that we face, but certainly the greatest difficulties, the most distressing. The hardest things that happened to us. Beautiful words here. Everyone's against David. He's lost everything. But what did he do? He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Folks, David's not a perfect man. But unlike King Saul, he's not so desperate that he'll turn to any other um, form of counsel or help other Than God. He knows only God can help me in a situation like this. And it's not as if he just turns to God and just questions God. No, he strengthens himself. He finds his strength, his sustenance, his power in God in the very worst of life situations for himself. And we're going to see as we continue, because we're going to stop here, because we got to leave you with a little drama, right? So what's going to happen next week? We don't know. Well, you've read the story, so maybe you have. We'll find out next week. But we do know this. We know David's going to be okay because he's gone to the right source for counsel and for strength. We don't have that hope with Saul, do we? Uh, Saul's in bad straits, and we don't have hope for him. But we do have hope for David because he's depending on God. So, folks, as we get ready for prayer, really the application is very simple, isn't it? Let's strengthen ourselves in our Lord, our God, as we pray together and as we face life's uncertainties, COVID, finances, crazy out-of-control politics in a world that's broken. Let's strengthen ourselves tonight, even as we pray together in our God that will take care of us and be comforted and go forth and, be, and continue to serve him faithfully.